All right, folks, we're past June 1, which was the new May 1 for 2020, and most enrollment marketers should have a good sense of where enrollment will be this fall. Uh, while this year has obviously totally disrupted many of our baseline metrics, this summer is a really important time to analyze your enrollment data from academic year 1920 to look for trends, insights, and anomalies. If you're not sure how to start, and I know many of you feel understaffed or feel like you don't have the tools or resources to do this effectively, I highly recommend registering for Element 451's webinar. It's a webinar that's coming up next week, Thursday, June 18th at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and this webinar is on tracking enrollment anomalies. This event will equip you and your team with the tools you need to garner meaningful insights from your prospect, applicant, and enrollment data. The team there is fantastic, really, really, really helpful, should be a fantastically engaging event. You can register for this event by going to element451.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's element451451.com forward slash Enrollify. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Cruz, and I am the host of today's episode. And today I have the great privilege to be speaking with Dr. Colby Jubinville, who is, among many other things, an international speaker, author, educator, and coach. And Colby currently is the director of Middle Tennessee State University's Center for Student Coaching and Success. Welcome to the show, Colby. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me and thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak with your audience today. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. So we have a lot to talk about today. I'm really, really excited for today's conversation. Um, I want to dive into your life's story shortly because I think it's a really interesting one and something that our, our listeners will uh, find valuable and inspirational. But can you start by just giving us uh, something like an, an elevator pitch for who you are and what the Center for Student Coaching and Success at MTSU is? Yeah, the, the, the Center for Student Coaching and Success is based on this one very simple idea that students come to higher education for gainful employment. And, and so every decision that I have made in, in my life, in my career, and in helping other people's build their life and their, their career is based around this idea of gainful employment. And what's interesting is over the years, when I've asked students in, in different decades, I've asked them in the, in the 90s and then 2000 and 2010 and now 2020, well, why do you come to college? And, and the answers are always things like, well, you know, I'm coming for a degree. I'm coming for an education. I'm coming for more opportunity. Um, I'm coming for a better, uh, better life. And, and they can't really crystallize what it is that they're there for. And, and I think that today, this conversation that you and I are having, it, it really should be about that, that one simple idea, which is, what are colleges trying to produce? Hmm. What ultimately are colleges trying to produce? And so the center, you asked me specifically about the center, the center is trying to produce students that are gainfully employed prior to walking across the stage for graduation and gainful employment to me. I try to keep things simple. The, the simplest story in the history of mankind 
was written by Hemingway, and it's the shortest story. It's for sale, baby shoes, never worn. So I try to keep things very simple. And so um, the the idea for gainful employment is that students uh, are looking for meaning, purpose, and contribution in the work that they do. To mm-hmm. me, that's what gainful employment is all about. Yeah. And so, and so every decision that we make should be based on how is this learning experience, this opportunity, creating meaning, purpose, and contribution for the work that they're going to do. Fantastic. I love that. Is I'm just I'm just curious. Can you walk us through just for the sake of our listeners? How do, how does a student actually engage with the center? So I'm at MTSU, yeah. and how do I hear about the center? And what yeah. what is my experience like there? Yeah, here's the defining moment for me on how I started the center. And, and so I'll give you a little bit of background about myself before we walk into that. But I was born to two educators that taught me the way you take on the world is to become an educator and marry an educator and educate other people. And so I've spent my entire life um, building this idea of coaching and teaching on, on an ever-increasing stage. And so my mother one day sent me this article, and she, she's been an educator for you know, 40 years and retired now, but, but she sent me this article from the wall street journal and it talked about this idea of uh, what does success look like after graduation? More specifically, what does well being look like after graduation? Hmm. And so, and so they looked at, they tried to isolate all these factors and they looked at, at mental well being, social well being, physical well being, spiritual well being, financial well being professional well-being, and the one factor that they isolated in this study, and this was done out of Georgia Tech with 30,000 students, is that if the student had a meaningful relationship with one coach, with one teacher, with one mentor during their college experience, they had a greater chance of experiencing well-being after graduation. Well, marketers and recruiters need to pay attention to that Hmm. because if we're being strategic, in our approach, it's not just anybody showing up to our school, but it's the right people showing up to our school based on the, the differentiating factors, the differentiation points that make up our school. And so if you think about that well-being after graduation, then it, it's about what makes the face of the program. And the face of the program, to me, are the students and the well-being that they've created for themselves after graduation. And so the process that I use is based on this simple idea that I learned years ago. And that the idea is that we're taught that if you want more, you got to have more opportunity. You got to have more education. You got to have more experience. But when the reality is, is if you want more, the very first thing you got to have is more of yourself. And so the center is built on this idea of getting more of yourself. And the framework is pretty simple. It's based on personal assessment plus personal coaching equals personal change. And what I've realized is that we all have a narrative that's either written for us or by us. And if you don't understand your own narrative, you can't change. And if other people don't understand their narrative, that your narrative, they can't help you change. And so I've partnered with a company called Harrison Assessment, and we use assessments in in the coaching and the narrative-based coaching that we do. And so they, they take one assessment, I pull six reports combined with six foundational coaching sessions that are then married with activity based on two simple ideas. What is the greatest realization that you had during our coaching session? 
And what is the result from that realization? And then what activities are you committed to doing as part of those realization results? If you marry those three things together, where you start to really become self-aware and to go through that journey and you understand your narrative, then you can write a new narrative coupled with activity that creates meaningful change. That's beautiful. Very, very, very uh, uh, poetic. And I, I think that, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Um, so I, this begs the question, what is, what is Colby's uh, narrative? What is, uh, what is your story? How did you, how did you get to, to, to where you are? And I've, I've, I've had the privilege of, uh, of stalking you a little bit on the internet and reading some awesome things that you've written. And I, you have a very unique tone and style, which I, I really appreciate. And so I'd love for you to just talk to us. I mean, today, right, we're going to have a big conversation about building your personal brand and how, Enrollment yeah. marketers, people in higher education, marketing, communications, and admissions can do a better job at building their individual brand um, yeah. and what that means uh, for professional development opportunities within higher ed, potentially outside of the industry. But I'd love for you to just kick us off by sharing your narrative with us. What what is what is your story in in you know just yeah. just a few minutes? Um, I know yeah. we could talk all day, but uh, let's let's start there. Well, it, it starts, I guess, with uh, with being a middle child, right? My, my older brother did it first, and my younger brother did it better, and I was stuck in the middle, always trying to achieve more. So, I mean, that's that's certainly part part of my narrative. Um, if I look back over my life, I think the people that had the greatest impact on me were coaches. Hmm. If if I look at my time at St. Paul's, if I look at my time at Millsaps, which is this. A uh, great little liberal arts school down in Jackson, Mississippi. If I look time at the, the people that I had at Southern Miss that were impacting me, every one of them were coaches. And, and they really did three things for me. They, they made me have conversations I didn't want to have uh, to ultimately try to do things that I didn't think I could do to become something that, that I really didn't know if I could become. Hmm. And and I think that is the the foundational piece of, of my narrative. And it's, it's something that I bring to, to other people. Um, in, in the work that I do at the center, um, um, I had so many different defining moments throughout my life. Uh, I'll share one of them with you because I think it's a great story about, uh, about college and, and the impact that it can have. Um, so I graduated from Millsaps and everything that I own is in the back of an Isuzu Trooper too. 1986, and, and I'm driving down to, to, to Hattiesburg, ultimately. I would, I would drive there, but I graduated from Millsaps, and, and I went across the street um, to a payphone, and I did the only thing you could do at that moment after graduating and not knowing what you're going to do with your life, and I called my dad. It's the only person you can call at that time, and I said, hey, dad, I've got this college degree. What am I supposed to do now? Hmm. And he starts he starts laughing. He says, let me get your mother on the phone because I want her to hear to her this. And they both were um, my teachers, you know, growing up. And so she gets on the phone and she's my cheerleader and, and she's talking. And I said, hold on, mama, I've got to really get this figured out. And, and he said, so go ahead and ask me again. I said, you know, I've got this college degree. What am I supposed to do now? And he said, do you have the degree with you? I said, yeah. And he said, well, read it to me. And I read the whole thing. It says Millsaps, BA, history. I've got all the different people that have signed it. And he said, man, that sounds really good. And, and we know you're going to be 
be successful, but quite frankly, we don't care what you do. Just don't come home. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> that is an awesome it, story. Wow. And in that moment, in that moment, and the takeaway for, for the audience is in that moment, I had to draw a line in the sand and I had to make a gut level decision to go. And so I drove down to Southern Miss and I walked through the double doors of where ultimately I would get a PhD. And I met Dr. Sandy Gangstead and I said, my name's Colby Jubenville and this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to coach and teach on an ever increasing stage. And so she flips through the, the files and she says, Jubenville. And she said, we, we offered you a scholarship. We sent it on this date and it was sent to the wrong PO box. Wow. And, and back in those days with no email, this was 19, this was 1994. Um, back in those days with, with no email, no real email at, at all. Um, it got lost in the shuffle. And so I signed, I signed that piece of paper for the scholarship and I went and called my dad back to Lick, And he said, yeah, I know you do it. I know you go, I know you find a way to be successful and I just keep doing what you're doing. And so that, that's kind of the foundational uh, piece to my narrative that made me wake up every day and, and drive to, um, to, to find new levels of opportunity and new levels of success. Wow. That is a fantastic story. Wow. Um, so, okay. So talk to me a little bit about how do you go from showing up after talking to your dad, you've got this opportunity in front of you and... Mm -hmm you you kind of kickstart this this career what yeah give us give us a little bit of a sense of like what are what are the kind of immediate next steps and how how do you go from there to what you do today what do you do today um and yeah and, and what is that what does that sort of uh timeline uh look like well from, from after graduating from from uh, Millsaps and then and finishing up my PhD at Southern Miss, I wrote a dissertation on the coach-athlete relationship because um, I felt um, I felt so compelled about my experience in playing football at Millsaps and for a guy named Tommy Raniger. And so I wanted to – I thought I wanted to coach college football. I knew I did. And so I started a college football team in, in Jackson at a school called Bellhaven College. And uh, we had no phones, computers, players, uniforms. Uh, we just had a dream and um, we ended up ranked during that first year and, and built a college football team from the ground up. Wow. And, and, and when you go through that, there was a guy named Norman Joseph who, who had such an impact on me. Um, I'll never forget. We were interviewing at a, he, he said, meet me. I called him probably 45. 40, I said, I'm going to call you. My name's Colby Jubenville. I'm going to call you every day until you call me back. And it, it took him about, a month to finally call me back. And he said, he, he said, Colby, I don't, I don't know who you are, but you're damn determined. And uh, I said, yes, sir. I am. And I met him at a, at a waffle house in Hattiesburg and, and uh, we get done and he orders like this double covered chunked diced, you know, all the stuff that you can order at a waffle house. And I ordered a water because <laughs> I was just, I was just so overwhelmed. And so we get done and he says, you know, Hey Colby, I, I think, um, Number one, I don't think you know a whole lot about coaching college football, but I do think you can go out and recruit the right people and help us win. And I said, well, coach, if you'll give me a chance, I can go out and find the, the right people that can be all conference and we can win championships here. And, and so he was a great mentor to me. And I'll never forget when I walked in there into his office to take the next step. 
uh, he said, you know, Colby, I told you that, that all I wanted for you to do was take the next step in your career. And if this is what you think is the next step for you in your career, then I want you to do that. And so that experience really set the foundation for me to understand how to take an idea and how to, how to birth it into the world. Hmm. And, and so that's a skill set that I think with this, with this COVID-19 of where we are, I think that everyone is, is reexamining how they operate within the institution. Hmm. And, and we, totally, we totally changed the institution at Bellhaven. You, you bring 80 guys onto a college campus to play football where, where they've never had football before. You, you've got all kinds of challenges other than just playing football. Uh, it, it's changing the culture. And so I think that, that people today with, with where you are in the audience that you're trying to serve, I think that they're looking at all aspects of, of what they do and they're asking themselves, how do we respond? How do we build a path and a plan that's different than we did before? That's going to allow us to compete based on, our unique value versus versus saying that we're the best. Yeah. And that's what we did. At, that's what we did at Bellhaven that I think really, really launched the program to where we got it to is we talked about our, our unique value that we brought. And, and I learned that from a book by a guy named Michael, by a, a book um, titled understanding Michael Porter. And they talk about strategy hmm. And I think that's what really focused for our discussion in terms of, of branding and relationships. I think if you take branding and relationships and pull them together, it's about strategy. And what he says about strategy is at the heart of competition is strategy. Hmm. And at the heart of strategy, it's not about being the best. It's about the unique value that you deliver. And when I look back on about how we competed and recruited the right students to win, um, and bring them on campus. We talked about our unique perspectives, how we see what we did, unique education, how we know what we did, and unique experience, how we deliver what we did to the to the students back in those days when we started that program. And I think that that's that's where people are today. Is you know your platform is built to help people understand how to compete on unique value versus saying that you're the best. And how do you how do you find the right students versus just students so that yeah. they align with the things that, that you believe about about um, about education? It goes back to that very center idea where it said colleges. What do colleges? What outcomes do they want to create? You know, I think that's the center question: is what outcome do you want to create for the graduate to recruit the right student? If the real challenge for you is to recruit the right students who are going to stay on campus and stay on campus and graduate and go out and be ambassadors into the world for your, for your program and for your school, then it begins with asking how do those students align with the unique perspective education experience of the college or the university. This is, I mean, this is a, a fantastic segue into uh, a question uh, that we've uh, hit on a little bit already, but 
that I want to circle back on. And really, this is about the idea of building your personal brand. So most of our listeners are enrollment marketers working at the director or uh, a VP level um, in admissions or marketing at a college or university. And, you know, right now there's, uh, you know, rightly so, a, a lot of fear as educational institutions consolidate resources. Folks have been laid off. People are scared of losing their jobs who haven't lost them yet. Um, many people are going to be interviewing for new jobs for the first time in, in maybe, you know, a decade. Um, yeah. And, you know, others are just are, are still looking for ways to kind of move up and, and progress, um, climb the ladder, so to speak, at their institution. So for our listeners who haven't really thought too critically about the need to build their personal brand, how do you how do you get people to start thinking about themselves as as a brand uh, and any kind of uh, crawl, walk, run sort of strategies that you might be able to outline for us? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it makes me first think about um, the man in black, Johnny Cash, and and I think that's that's a great example of of a guy that built a personal brand, and and it started with his name, and it started with what he wore, and and people recognizing him for that. Now, those same may seem like basic things in the beginning, but but even starting there, when you think about how you present yourself to the world. Uh, I think those kinds of things matter today. Um, when I go out and speak, I always wear uh, jeans, you know, a button down and a blazer. That's just that's just part of my personal brand. And and I think it speaks to the audience in a way that's different than walking in in a suit and and um, and polished and um, and presenting yourself in that way. So I think that that at the lowest level, it's it's that at hmm. the highest level. At the highest level, I think it's the stories that you tell about yourself based on those things about perspective, education, and experience. And, and I think about when I think about telling stories to other people, the reason that, that we tell stories and how we build our personal brand is because ultimately people that are listening to you talk are asking themselves, do, do I want to spend time with this person? If you look at what a, a brand is, a brand is a promise that's delivered in an experience. Hmm. And so if you think about what it is that you want to, to try to connect with, who it is that you want to try to connect with, I think the two simple questions are in terms of personal branding is what is the promise and how do you deliver it? And that to me is built on your perspective, education, experience. I've given you through um, our discussion today um, several different insights into some defining moments in my life yeah. that that ultimately articulate my perspective, education, experience. I mean, one of the things that I believe in, in terms of those coaches is that the greatest opportunity that we have on a college campus is to first help kids find their voice, which is the intersection of talent and passion and conscience and need in the world. And then the second is to teach them how to develop, protect, and maintain their confidence. If you teach people how to find their voice and you teach them how to develop and protect and maintain their confidence, they'll learn the things along the way that they need to be successful. That's part of my perspective. You can agree with that or not agree with that. Yeah. But based, based on if you do or you don't, then that's how the relationship starts to form. And that's, that's why, to me, the intersection of branding and relationships are so important. 
here's, here's the bottom line and the takeaway. If everybody that's listening to this podcast subscribes to this idea that, that things get done through relationships, then, then show me how you've been taught how to build relationships hmm. in, in, in your workplace. And the reality is, is that most of us are brought up to be task-based leaders. Hmm. They, they don't teach us how to be relational-based leaders. And, and so it's learning how to move from task to relationship. And, and so that's a skill set. So, so Zach's IQ at 10 will be the same at 20, will be the same at 30, will be the same at 40. Zach's personality, pretty much at 10, 20, 30, 40, is going to be the same. But his emotional intelligence, his ability to be aware of how his behavior impacts himself and others, and his own self-awareness is going to impact how he builds relationships with those people when he finds himself in a leadership role. And so I think part of the strategy in building the next generation or the next class that comes through your university or college starts with the relationships that you build inside your team and how you build them. It seems to me too, that there's this, like, as I, as I listen to you talk, um, uh, so something that I, I think is, is very core to at least your brand and, and who you are, right. Is this, is this idea of sharing, right? Like some might call mm-hmm. it, some might call it, uh, pontificating, but like this idea of you being, uh, well-equipped to share insights into your life and couple those insights with, with like teaching moments. And I think that, um, uh, the best brands, right? Agnostic of, of individuals, just the best company brands also do that. Well, they, they do a fantastic job at telling stories and helping you understand what is it, what are the insights that we want you to glean from this story that we're about to tell you, right? Whether, you know, whether that's Coke, whether that's sweet green, whatever the brand might be, um, they, they communicate a story via an advertisement in hopes that you'll garner a particular insight from that ad more often than not being buy our salad, you know, buy our soft drink, et cetera. So how do you, like, how, how would you encourage folks who aren't, who, you know, the most obvious example that comes to mind right now is like, okay, when you're thinking about building your personal brand, right? We have these, this very, very valuable uh, space now that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago called social media, where we can mm-hmm. share a lot and we can actually share our messages, our stories with, uh, with strangers and a fair number of them. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just curious, how do you, how do you help people or, or what, what sort of like pieces of advice do you have for folks uh, with respect to uh, if what you're saying is true about this idea of, of relationship building in order to build relationships, it requires, it requires sharing, right? It requires a sharing yeah. of, uh, and a vulnerability, so to speak. Right. So how do you help yeah. encourage people who, might not know uh, or, or might might need some sort of process or template for like how mm-hmm. if, if the end goal is to build my brand is to grow my my circle to you know build the stage and the platform uh, increase the size of the stage and the platform that I'm speaking from how do folks uh, help how would you advise folks to to start sharing uh, how do they share where do they share if that's not something mm-hmm. that comes quote unquote, naturally to them? Yeah, well, it's a really interesting question. I think it starts with this. Brene Brown said um, that 
um, connection is why we're here and it's hardwired into our DNA. Hmm. Um, what, what I, I took that idea and what I say is the most basic need of people is to connect and feel connected. And, and so if, if you're looking for a place to, to build your personal brand, what we know is that vulnerability fuels connection. And, and so to understand what those defining moments are in, in, as, as part of your story and, and how, how those moments have impacted you. I mean, it's, it's, um, I look back and I ask myself, did, did I choose this or did this choose me to be born to two educators, to have coaches as the singular greatest impact on, on my life, to be challenged by a major professor and, and come, I, I took my dissertation topic to him probably 15 times before he said, yeah, I think that that is the one that you should write about. Hmm. And, and he knew where he was taking me and that the, the topic ended up being the coach athlete relationship. And isn't it ironic that, that 30 years later, um, that really where I spend most of my time is, is talking about and building that sort of coach athlete relationship. But to specifically answer your question for takeaways for your audience today, is first, I think you have to have the confidence to approach and build relationships in this way. And, and that starts with being vulnerable. And so if you think about what does it mean to be vulnerable, I'm, I'm going to read you something that I think really, please, really, really, really connects with what we're talking about here. Um, do you know who Brandon Busteed? Yes. Who, who, who writes for Forbes? He said, What we've learned is that whether someone feels they're a part of an inclusive campus community boils down to two absolute crucial questions. These questions account for more than half of the variance in whether someone feels their campus is inclusive. The first and most important question is whether they strongly agree that their opinions at work count. And second is whether they strongly agree that someone cares about them as a person. To me, if I'm a leader, and I'm looking to move the needle as we transition through this COVID-19 into the next step into class of, of 2025, 26, 27. The very first thing I'm asking myself is, is those two questions. Is have I built a culture within, within my office that allows people to be heard and second, do they really believe that they care about me or that I care about them? Hmm. And so if you think about that, what he says further on in that article, he says, unfortunately, higher education institutions do not score well on these measures. So how do you do it? How do you build those kinds of relationships? Here's what I think. The found, we talk about trust. I've got to trust you. You've got to trust me. We've got to trust the process. We've got to trust each other. But if you look at the foundation of trust, the foundation of trust in building these kinds of relationships is safety hmm. and safety in business and these kinds of relationships is exactly what he's talking about. Am I known? Am I heard? Am I valued? Am I important? Does my opinion matter? So when I think you're building your personal brand as a leader, if you sit in a leadership role, good leaders make good followers and good leaders go first. And, and part of that is letting your people know that you want them to be heard and valued and important and that their opinion matters. And then they need to really believe that you care about them if you're going to do the work that's going to have to get done over the next 18 months as we move through this process. 
Wow. No, there, there's, there's a lot of gold there. All right, everyone, just a quick reminder, take out your notebook, take out your iPhone, and set yourself a reminder to check out Element 451's upcoming webinar on Thursday, June 18th at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on tracking enrollment anomalies. Head on over to element451.com forward slash Enrollify for all the details. All right, back to the conversation. I want to I wanna transition and talk a little bit about uh, a book you wrote called Me, How to Sell Who You Are, What You Do, and Why You Matter to the World. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this is sort of a, 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 in the spirit of the conversation with respect to personal brand building, this is an awesome title of a book. Um, so in the book, and I have not read the book, but I've read a couple of summaries of the book, uh, you discuss this idea of, of the three M's of personal branding, meaning, yeah. makeup, and message. Can you just mm. briefly talk a little bit about it? Again, I think that you've alluded very well to these things in our conversation yeah. thus far, but can you just unpack those three words for us a little bit yeah. and, and talk about the significance there? Yeah, so Don Roy is... Uh, is the guy that, that came up with this framework when we started to put this together. He's a, a fantastic uh, professor and consultant over in the College of Business at MTSU. Uh, but but the three M's focus on first is meaning, and, and to me that's about discovery. And and I think the only way that you can go through discovery is through assessment. Um, and so that's a critical part to this is is getting some kind of assessment that will help you have some some level of self understanding, self awareness. Uh, I use I use Harrison assessment because it, it measures behavior versus personality, hmm. and so it so it looks at this thing called enjoyment performance theory, and it looks at the tasks that we enjoy and putting people into their strength zone. One of the cool sections is is called your life themes and my life themes were warmth, empathy, wants high pay, wants to lead and influencing. Well, if you go back to our very first conversation about my narrative, having that in front of me and that being crystallized for me and, and asking me, Hey, Colby, d- does that really make sense to you? Is that right? Yeah, that really is. How can we write a new narrative based on those life themes on your key strengths? And the key assets that you have. So, so I think the discovery begins with some kind of assessment. With makeup, to me, if I was going to boil it down to one idea, it's how are you valuable? And here's the takeaway. Hmm. We live in a knowledge-based economy. Drucker said that, that we live in a knowledge-based economy. And a knowledge-based economy commands two things. Uh, number one, uh, to understand and articulate your value. And then number two, put yourself in a position to use it. Well, that to me is the imperative in how you build the next piece, which is message. And so if you look at, let, let's boil it back down and take it back to your audience. If you look at what ultimately colleges and universities are trying to accomplish is not finding students, but finding the right students that come to the university based on the key differentiator, differentiators that they believe create the unique perspective, education, and experience, well, well, that should be based on the stories that should be told should be based around those three key pieces Yeah, and, and how they see themselves as valuable and how that value turned into someone's life work based on the relationships. So, so what 
ties all that together. What should be the message that can be tied to any technology piece? To me, it's the faces of the institutions. It's the teachers. It's the students. It's, um, it's the coaches. And so if they're asking themselves, how do we go out and find those right people by building a personal brand and personal relationship, then it's taking all the things that we've talked about today. It's getting everybody in a room and saying, what is our unique perspective, how we see what we do? What is our unique education, how we know what we do? And what is our unique experience, how we deliver it and what we do? And how can we take the faces of the teachers, the students, and the coaches to tell the story? Because we know that story is what makes up culture. I love that. Uh, wow. Yeah, there, there's there's so much to unpack there. But I, I think, you know, one of the, the big challenges for people working in higher education in particular is is sort of that that wrestling with what is it about us that is truly unique. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time based off of communications uh, that you see, whether this is through the context of a website or, or like an email communications flow to prospective students, they uh, they don't do a fantastic job at communicating that difference. Uh, you know, you yeah. see, we, we spend a lot of time analyzing uh, communication, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, education communication conflows. Um, and one of the things that you'll see is if you look at communication flows like at the aggregate is you'll see that pretty much every five to eight to 10 email sequence more or less follows the same formula. It, it follows the same script, right? You've got your your three yeah. bullet points in the email that all make you sound like you're the best thing since sliced bread. And the reality of the situation is that unique aspects do exist within every university context. But I think the 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 realization or at least most the realization of of discerning like how do you uncover that uh, and it's not an easy process especially when there are so many stakeholders involved in the development of that unique value so i'm mm-hmm. i'm just curious how do you like what, where do you get your, your inspiration from? How, uh, you know, how do you help guide people who, or what encouragement might you have for listeners who are, th- who are like, yes, I agree with everything that you're saying, Colby. Uh, I believe very strongly that we need to do a better job at defining our unique value and communicating that well and doing so in an authentic and vulnerable way. Um, but right. I'm not the one in charge or I'm not, uh, the, the eggs are not all in my basket. What sort of encouragement mm-hmm. do you have for those people? Uh, where do you get your in- inspiration from? What resources might you be able to, to direct these folks to? Well, we live in a world today where it's not, the issue is not about, um, not about getting the information. It's getting the right information. Hmm. And, and so with, with all the different channels that we have available, I think the very first thing you have to do is take a step back and ask yourself philosophically what it is that you believe. Because you can have the right opportunity, the right people, the right time, the right energy. But if you don't have the right philosophy to do the work that must get done, then nothing will get done. Hmm. 
in our 20s, we tell people to get in the game. In our 30s, we tell them to move up in the game. In our 40s, they try to stay in the game because those 30-year-olds are so damn good. In our 50s, we say, what is it that I really want? Yeah. And so what, what I realized early on that I wanted to coach and teach on an ever-increasing stage. And so what I have done that has always helped me is, is get around people better than me. Hmm. And, so, and so to look at and see in your space, there's a, there's a guy in my space. He's, he's my hero. His name's Joe Calloway. Um, he wrote a book called Be the Best of What Matters Most. The only strategy you ever need, you ever need, and and I'm like, the, the title is so good, you don't even need to read the book. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So so one day I just called him and I said, Joe, I mean, I'm not a serial killer. I'm not a I'm not an axe murderer. I'm just a college professor that wants to get better, wants to know wants to know you. And I sat in front of him and we talked, and in in three to five hours, I took away more information about what I wanted and how I wanted to do it than any other time in my life. Well, I, I think that that's where we are in, in the world today is if you get a really clear sense of why you want to do what you do and then align with people that, that agree with those kinds of things and connect with them. Like for example, yesterday when I was thinking about putting together some thoughts for this talk, I just followed Brandon Bustede. And then this morning I look up on LinkedIn and, and he asked me, asked to connect with me. Yeah. And so I'm going to send him an email and I'm going to say, I don't know you, but, but I want to, and, and we'll have a conversation and that conversation will lead somewhere. And so if you look at, you know, you're really talking about, I think when you ask that question, Hey, Colby, I'm not the leader. I'm just the third person in charge. And I'm the new hire trying to figure this out. You know, motivation comes from from four places, purpose, progress, mastery or autonomy, purpose, progress, mastery, autonomy. What what I and Daniel Pink said that what I take away from that is it, it, it's it's about what are you naturally curious about? Hmm. Right. Right down to three things that you're naturally curious about. When I first got started, I was convinced I was going to be the greatest offensive line coach in the country. And that same guy that I called 45 days in a row that ultimately hired me at a Waffle House, he gave me $3,000 and he said, I want you to go and I want you to meet these three offensive line coaches. They're the best in the country. One of them was Larry Zerlein, who's the father of the stretch zone. One of them was J.B. Grimes, who's the, the, uh, the guy that, that developed the short game, the run game at Texas A&M. And, and these guys, they, they invested in me. And they, they planted seeds in me that by my second year, I could probably coach anywhere in the country. And it was one of the hardest decisions to leave. But it, it goes back to answering your question. I was naturally curious. I've always been naturally curious about what are the forces at work? How can you build the right relationships and use them to get better? Is what one of the things, uh, I don't know if this is a fair way to kind of summarize uh, a little bit of that, but it sounds like, and as I've listened to you throughout this conversation, it sounds like mentorship has been a real key in your life. Um, you talk about surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you. You talk about you know the need for 
being persistent in getting time and attention from people who have done cool things uh, that yeah. are aligned with your curiosity. How, how like what uh, do you have any do you have any specific thoughts around I mean you, again you've shared some great stories here but any specific thoughts around sort of the value or the importance of of mentorship and any sort of uh, specific advice for people who are you know younger in their careers who are you know maybe three four five years into their uh, their careers um, and sort of maybe he, you know hitting some sort of glass ceiling uh, wondering mm-hmm. what's next uh, what what sort of value do you think young people in particular should place on mentorship? I think it's a huge part of, of um, your, your overall growth within your uh, career. And, and if you don't have that piece to it, I mean, I, what I tell people and what I believe is that we're in a coaching revolution hmm. and the coaching, the coaching revolution says you either are a coach, you have a coach or you don't want to be coached. And if you don't want to be coached, you're going to be left behind. And so I think getting around people that that will make investments in you and that will get in a boat with you um, and build trusting relationships with you where you can go and ask for help and get feedback is critical. Now, what you have to be able to do is be vulnerable and put yourself out there and ask for it. And they may tell you, no, I've had people tell me no, and that's okay. Yeah. But if you don't, in, in if you really want to get to where you want to go in terms of identity capital, which is what I think you're talking about, because mentorship helps you build that identity. And if you look at people's narratives, it goes like this. It goes, experiences lead to stories that lead to identity, that lead to behavior, that lead to outcome. Hmm. And so if you're looking for identity capital, the very first thing you have to understand is that if you want identity capital, you got to get around people who have identity capital because identity capital begets identity capital. Hmm. And so I think, again, going back to me, Joe Calloway's stuff was just his first book that that I read was called Category of One, How to Transcend Commodity and Defy Comparison. And, and I read the book and there's so many different things that I took away from the book that it compelled me to reach out to him and say, hey, I've never seen somebody write this way. I've never seen somebody talk this way. Can I come spend some time with you? And, and then I find myself, you know, six months later, we're, we're in the same room and, and we're talking to some, some bank execs. And when we get done, he says, hey. You want to get a cup of coffee? And I'm, I'm scared to death. This guy's the best in the business. And he said, yeah. I said, yeah, let's get a cup of coffee. And so he said, we, we go over this McDonald's, we get a cup of coffee. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon. He said, so how did you think it went? I'm thinking he's going to tell me it went off. And I said, well, I thought it went, I thought it went pretty good. He goes, yeah, I did too. He said, you know what I'm asking myself? Why does this guy need me and Colby Jubenville? Colby can do this all on his own. <laughs> wow. And, and that that's mentorship. Yeah, you know, to, to make investments in people in that way is uh, a big part of it. And and you know what? I think that that people, if you're listening to this podcast and you choose to sit in a leadership role, part of your obligation is developing your people. Period. Yeah. How and how you choose to do that? 
it is up to you, but I think it begins by building trusting relationships and 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 being open to feedback and trying new things and using all those things to create confidence within the organization to build that institutional confidence that needs to happen. Wow. I I'm just taking like all these notes and trying to be quiet so that it doesn't uh <laughs> pick up on the recording here with my with my loud keyboard, but but Colby, this has been uh, fantastic, and I think there's so much that you've shared with your own narrative that uh, I believe, I mean, that's resonated with me, that I believe will resonate with our with our listeners. Um, I really, really appreciate your your time today. My, my last, uh, I guess I have two final questions for you. Um, uh, the final question is just about how folks can uh, get in touch with you, but we'll we'll hop on that in just a second here. But any just last sort of like one to two to three sort of takeaways for people that you hope that uh, they they walk away with after after our conversation today? Yeah, I think that that understanding that relationships are, are key to this. You know, it's such an important part of it and how you go out and build those relationships is is, is going to be part of the legacy that you leave. Um, and I think, you know, I, I remember back and I was thinking about when we first originally connected and and about what would be something that would be really meaningful to, to finish up on. And I don't know how I came across this, but it made me think about MTSU just finished up a massive road project, a massive road project right in front of the university. It, it took way longer than they thought it was going to take. And it, it took a whole lot more money than they thought it was going to take. But Lamar Alexander, who's a state senator and, and I think used to be the president of the University of Tennessee, um, he was there to, to give his remarks, the ribbon cutting. And he said this, he said, students, don't bother to scan the pages. If the cover is pretty, they may take the class. If the cover isn't appealing, they may not read the book at all. And, and it made me think about this. It made me think about the first impressions hmm. that, that people have at every university. And, and so I was recently speaking to somebody um, about their student going on um, a college visit and they really liked the visit and they got to the part where the student ambassador was showing them around and they asked something specific that they wanted about the campus and the student ambassador uh, did not pick up on that cue that they wanted that and, and said, Oh yeah, we, we have it, but it's not really a big part of our campus. Hmm. And, and that one interaction changed their mind about looking at that school versus another school. And I think that's the world that we live in. And I think that's why it's so important to, to build those um, relationships. And if you have student ambassadors, if you have anybody that's there at the institution, is part of building that brand um, for the university and, and having those connections and being able to be aware about the stories and the faces and the people that make up that campus and university to me 
are is the biggest critical factor in somebody deciding to say, yes, this is where I'm going to be for the next four years, or I'm looking to go somewhere else. That's a remarkable story. Wow. Yeah. Talk about the need for investing in the student experience and really thinking critically about these touch points, whether that's at the student ambassador level or all the way up at the director of admissions level, uh, you know, yeah. especially in a world we're living in today where, you know, uh, we're fighting for every student, right? Like there's, right. there's no fluff. Um, yeah. And, no. you know, all the, all the more reason to think critically and invest uh, wisely in developing fantastic experiences, not just for current students, but for, for prospective students. Well, and, and, and where does it always start back to? It's the relationships. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and having them understand the meaning and the makeup and the message of that brand and then being able to tell that story in a way that connects. But if they don't understand that the most basic need of people is to connect and feel connected, if they don't understand, hey, your number one job here is to be connected to them. Being connected means to understand the things that are most important to them. And when we need to be the best at those things based on our perspective, education experience, you know, that's a different way of thinking about how you connect with the customer. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Uh, amen. Amen. Um, Colby, how can our listeners, uh, keep in touch with you if they, if they've enjoyed the conversation today, what's the best way for them to follow you or message you or how do they get in touch? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm on LinkedIn at, at Dr. Jubinville, and I would, I would love for anybody to, to reach out and connect with me there. And, and then my website is Dr. Jubinville, D-R-J-U-B-E-N-V-I-L-L-E.com. Um, I'm not much on uh, Twitter. My kids tell me that I need to be, but, uh, or Instagram, but um, I'm working on those every day. I get on, I get, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a, a Forbes contributor. Okay. And so if you'll just, if you'll just search my name and then Forbes contribute or Forbes, then I write, I write a blog for the coaching council for Forbes and um, got some really good information there as well. Fantastic. Well, and we'll include uh, links to your website and to your social channels in the show notes. So if you folks are listening to this podcast on their phone, um, they can very easily just go to the show notes on Spotify or Apple podcasts and link on over to your your website. So thanks again so much for your time today, sir. I really appreciate it and believe that you did a fantastic job at delivering value to to our listeners. Well, well, keep up the great work and, and, and keep uh, being an innovator. You know, innovation means you go first. And based on the story that you told me about your own career, uh, you continue to do that. So keep leading the way. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing big things from you. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.
Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into today's episode. Just a final reminder to check out Element 451's upcoming webinar on tracking enrollment anomalies. It is next week, Thursday, June 18th at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This event's gonna be awesome, super, super helpful and valuable for you and your team. You can find out more at element451.com. That's element451.com forward slash enrollify.